Hey, you're listening to Samcast with me, Sam Eagle. Here you'll hear the stories, methods and thoughts of some of my favourite musicians from all across the musical spectrum. For this episode, I'm joined by Sam Duckworth, an incredibly talented songwriter and producer whose project Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, among others, has seen him release 10 acclaimed albums, tour the world and work on incredible collaborations with artists like Damon Albarn, Flea and Kate Nash. We talk Sam's new album, experiences in the music industry and his songwriting philosophy and advice as well as the importance of community and sharp observations on the social effects of lockdown. It was such an exciting conversation and we spoke about so much that I've split it up into two halves. So here's part one of my conversation with Sam Duckworth. Sam Duckworth, thank you so much for coming on Samcast. Thanks for having me. It's a double Sam episode. It's a sandwich. It's a sandwich. It's the first double Sam episode. We're at SS2, your amazing studio in Southend. And yeah, you've been recording your new album. How's how's the process been going? You're catching me three days away from end. Yeah, <laughs> which is good because if you'd have caught me last week, it would have been it'd be a very different podcast <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's going well. Um, the earliest track that's been knocking about is about 14 months old. Uh-huh. So there's been I was kind of writing it pretty solidly, thinking it was going to come out this year. Mm. It was kind of there was one album that was almost ready to go at the top of the year and then obviously everything changed in the world and there was a lot more time to think yeah so I just started working on some new tunes then then I convinced myself for a month that it was a great idea to make a drum and bass record and here I am undoing all of that basically <laughs> undoing all the drum and bass yeah a little bit keeping yeah. keeping the bass lines but scrapping the rest pretty much <laughs> are the um you just played me some tracks and they're, they're sounding really really nice there's quite a like range of I want to find a better word than emotions. What's a better word? No, I think it probably is a range of emotions. It's um, it's certainly a record where I don't know. Like certainly, if I'm making a polit- like writing more political music, I'm kind of looking for a, an anchor point and a context. But I think at the in the world right now, and and how it's been for the last well few years, you know, I think COVID's obviously accelerated it. But there's been just this uncertainty and tension. Mm. And I think that the byproducts of uncertainty and tension are kind of insecurity and confusion and also like righteous anger. And so it's kind of all the offshoots of being in a world that's currently in flux, but previously was accelerating to- towards its rapid decline. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's wrestling with my emotional response to that as much as, you know, hopefully providing other people with a pivot for them to think about theirs. Mm. Were the tracks that you wrote when lockdown started? Were you writing about like similar kind of things or were they kind of more along those kinds of lines, like amplified? I guess some of the extremities of the emotions have maybe been amplified by the amount of time I spent in my own head in one room. Yeah. For sure. But that's also as somebody that has a studio and that writes a lot. That's kind of something that happens mm-hmm. every so often mm-hmm. anyway. I guess this time what is different is that, I don't know, like, I think that solution-based politics is kind of quite difficult when you're in flux. Whereas in an instance like we're in at the moment, it's kind of, for me, it's more about trying to, it's not just so much trying to find the positivity, but we're in a time where like loads of the country, you know, Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland and probably the rest of the world is reconnecting with nature, reconnecting with community, really readdressing their relationships with commerce, you know, with socialising, like everything's kind of changing. Mm. And it's kind of, for me, it's quite important to anchor and remember the importance of that. Mm-hmm. 
But weirdly, that was kind of the the record I originally started making anyway. Right, okay. I just kind of had enough. I had enough of the internet. I had enough of, like, politics being a sideshow of entertainment more than being something that felt like it was strident. It was just too much. And I'd kind of got to the end of last year, and I was like, this is all too much now. So weirdly, that kind of started to be my process of, like, the concept of kind of emotionally rewilding. was kind of my theme. And all that's just happened, really, is that um, I've just kept more of the extremities. Mm-hmm. You know, I figured... If I was writing these songs because I needed to get them out of me, then maybe I should just put them out in the world as well. Usually I'd save those ones and then try and take that sentiment and make it clever and confusing. But this time I just, I don't know, I couldn't be bothered to do that. I felt <laughs> like these these songs are the songs that I want to sing and want to play. So yeah. maybe that's just what I should put out. And it's all been recorded and mixed at SS2 in here, right? Yeah, it's pretty much all. And some at home. Okay. And just bits. Yeah, you know, yeah, and the yeah. horns are done have been done remotely. There's a friend of mine who lives in London, and a friend of mine who lives in Sweden, Sam and Pete. They're both awesome arrangers. That's been that's been quite nice. You know, digital collaboration is starting to become a thing that you know is happening more and more often, and and was anyway, but like even like more so now. It's, it's been a good experiment in that as well. So that yeah, that's been really nice, and it's shaped the way that I work. But yeah, the rest of it's all been tracked here, and it's been good. Now I was a firm believer that I needed to have a space. Mm. And that if like if I didn't have a space, if there was a situation where I couldn't tour, what would I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, that situation where I couldn't tour is probably more about like whether I got ill or whether I got more responsibilities. <laughs> Just somehow it's kind of collided into a global pandemic. The most extreme scenario of that. Yeah, one of, you know, like I think sometimes, you know, there are only two generations removed from similar le- levels of international chaos in some countries have never known anything other than war and flux. Mm. You know, so there was always going to be a point where needing some kind of safe haven bunker was going to be important, I think. Yeah, I guess that is where your own recording spaces really come into their own. How do you think the whole DIY approach has kind of shaped your music and you as a musician and a creative? It's reaffirmed my faith in people. Yeah. It's hard. I, I struggle with the kind of... There's so many people doing it and everyone's on their own path and that solidarity is amazing. Sometimes I struggle with it in the sense of being, that's why I hang out with everyone. Just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of want to turn everything into one giant commune always. That's always my instinct. And I think that what DIY has shown me is that like everyone can be on their own path and they come together at certain points and share ideas. And my baptism of fire in the music industry was the language of conversation was about competition. Mm. And I'd come from before that, I'd come from a place of collaboration. And, you know, working with Atlantic, they were kind of able to facilitate it in my career. Like, I wouldn't take anything away from the opportunities that they gave me, but, like, the, still the language of that music world was like, there's only room for one of these, and there's only room for mm. one of these, and we need to do that. And it's like, really? When's that historically ever been proven to be <laughs> the case? Like, I could tell you 15 bands from one scene in one genre that I love them all. Mm. And they're all essential. So why do I just need to pick one? Mm. You know, so DIYs taught me this is like room for everyone and everyone commits to themselves, works hard and everyone's learning and understanding where there's room to kind of lean on each other, mm. you know, where, where different energies can come from. And the pandemic's made it difficult because the thing that I miss the most is that kind of chaos energy that came with it. But, you know, it, it shaped it because all music's DIY. Like, there is no music unless you, like, you do it. <laughs> Very good so, point. You know, like, it doesn't matter how it's being funded. 
Yeah. You know, it's from a brain through limbs to sound to ears. That's, so it's kind of, I like people that feel like they need to have as much control of that as possible. Mm-hmm. I think that the, you know, the industry side is important. But when it comes to making music, DIY people, have, they create room. You know, and I think that that's the key thing with music is creating room. Like, read um, Jeff Tweedy's book over lockdown, singer from Wilco. And he's like, I try and write every day. Some days it's not going to be good. But his kind of attitude is like, you don't, you shouldn't really wait for lightning in a bottle. Right. Because how could you expect to be sharp enough to actually catch it mm-hmm. in the bottle when it comes? Mm-hmm. So if you keep, keep your discipline up, you know, keep everything focused. So when you do get that moment where they do come, where you go, oh, wow, I've got to do this. You actually can do it. Mm. Is is that like your your writing philosophy then? It's my everything philosophy, really. It's like always trying to look at what's wrong, trying to fix it, trying to make it better, trying to get more efficient. Or Because I can't control my feelings, but I want to be able to control my actions and my responses to those feelings. And music's always been a vessel to do that. So it's about um, learning how to have that still be a cathartic process for me as an artist and as a writer, but also how to shape that into a working practice for me actually being able to finish things. Mm -hmm. Because I love writing, you know, and I I love the emotional space that comes with writing. And that's that's awesome to be writing all the time, but sometimes part of writing is finishing. Mm. And I hate finishing. (laughs) I hate ends. (laughs) Like, you know, I just want everything to continue always. <laughs> so that's the challenge. That's where I'm at right now, to be honest. And yeah. When do you decide that something is finished? When I don't like working on it, but I know that I've got to finish it. Like when I know that like the bones of it is great and I'm happy with it and the feelings are translated and the energy's there. But when I know it, it's just like, oh, I really need to do that bit again. Like, okay, I'll do it again. And then I do it and I'm like, okay, cool, it's all done now. Right. You know, okay. so it's like... Those, it's like a snagging list. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're decorating or whatever. Like the worst bit is always those just before the end touches, that like extra coat, or you just want to do it now, but like you've got to wait a few days, let it set properly. When I get to that stage and I still feel confident in the music, I get to that stage a lot, and that like I've been known to like, well, I have done twice on this project, get to that point and be like, it's all wrong. So it begins again. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, on other times in my career, I probably should have gone to this extra stage again. You know, I listen back to things and think, oh, actually, I could have probably gone through one more loop of that journey. I guess that's part of the the pitfalls of kind of self-producing a lot of stuff is you you can keep going back, so you do. But I don't know, like, I'm quite happy to just keep, you know, keep excavating until I find what I'm looking for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally dissatisfaction with the lack of excitement in my day-to-day is a sign that I'm finishing an album. <laughs> He's like, okay, yeah, just okay, the end yeah. bits now. No no fun bits, no guitars, no no synths, no. Okay, cool, just backing vocals <laughs> and like listening to my voice and DSing it. Awesome, okay, cool. It's going to done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, nothing worse than listening to... I mean, that's a little little snapshot for people listening to this of the last eight hours of my yesterday. Uh, that's when I know. If I'm DSing, I know that I'm finished. <laughs> when when you're, like, initially at, at the start of the process and the initial ideas of a song are, like, hitting and you get to lyrics, are you writing about specific things or are you letting it just kind of flow and uh, is it more, like, abstract kind of writing? I think both. I, I used to say that I'd, I was kind of like this is stream of conscious and I work it out mm. or I'd have a rough idea of what I wanted to write about 
generally, if I know that I want to write about something, I try and immerse myself in it for enough that I know that it's like on the tip of my subconscious. Mm-hmm. So if I'm writing and I'm singing and I've got a melody, I know that the kind of words and phrasing that's going to come out is going to be connected to the subject that I want to sing about. That's kind of how I'm trying to you know, straddle the line between being able to do both. Because ultimately, one of the things that I've realised is that melodically, my emotions are much more translatable when I'm not thinking about what I'm saying, when I'm writing. But the problem with that is I might end up being left with a bunch of words and syllables that make no head, no tail. (laughs) So, yeah, I kind of really try to make sure that I don't overthink lyrics, Mm. because then it allows me room to really overthink them. Some of these songs haven't changed a moment from the first hour that they're written. And some of them have gone through like 30 or 40 different drafts. Jeez. So it's like, I know what I want to say. I know how I want to say it. I've got very limited space for syllables. What's the best way that I can say this? Mm. Is me thinking that that looks good on paper? Is that taking away from the emotion? All that kind of like wrestling. But I... I've been listening with my vocal up front and loud this time because, one, it helps me know that if the song's there. So I'm not just thinking, oh, yeah, that'll be great when there's a vocal on it because I end up just uh, overcooking it because I want to hear the bits that, that clang a little bit. Uh, you know, the more I listen to them, the more I'm like, okay, like that's good, but that timing's wrong. You know, so that's, that's how I'm writing now. Either really quick, falls out of me, and then it's either leave it or spend far too long overthinking it. <laughs> that makes sense. From a songwriting point of view, do you have like a philosophy in terms of is there one thing that you want to try and achieve in your writing? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think probably not in my writing, probably more in like the overarching thing. Right, okay. I think what I've kind of begun to realise, I mean, this is like a 15 year kind of journey for me to kind of realise this, is that you're allowed to have more than one strand. You know, you need to specialise and be kind of niche in what you do because it allows you to be focused and to really spend your time honing those elements that work but at the same time like what I do outside of music whether it's a studio or you know weird ideas and experiments or the you know the artistic creativity that happens with that doesn't necessarily all need to be translatable as the core of what my music sounds like right okay. if that makes sense like yeah. you know we did like a strange gig at the top of the year it was like um fake wedding reception and it was kind of all a bit bizarre and experimental and really fun and I realized that yeah I can kind of make like semi-sad emotional political music and still throw like fake weddings and have weird parties. Fake wedding is in like a gig but it's like stage. Yeah stage like a wedding reception. That's really really cool. All the kind of yeah everyone dressed up and (laughs) cake and yeah. Was there a bride and groom? It wasn't a bride and groom no it was just everything but Right, <laughs> and it was you know it was a laugh, and it was it's, why not? Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of keen to do more stuff like that because my philosophy is why not? Yeah, really. To yeah. be honest with you, like I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by people that like make magic out of nothing. Mm. So that's kind of my philosophy. It's like if you see people that are able to achieve amazing things, just like they, they built themselves, why not take that on and adopt it and just try and build your own stuff. But my songs are more than my emotional response to life and to the political backdrop of it, whereas I want my attitude to be one of, like, positivity and motivation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like understanding that, like, I think people, you know, will listen to this new record, hopefully will see that it's, it needs to be that range of emotions. Because if you want to commit to something kind of bananas, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> and also, like, it's 
you know, it's gonna need you need a release or a release valve, and for me, music's always been my release valve. But it's a weird kind of thing because it's kind of my emotional release valve, the thing I love to do the most, and my job. Yeah. So it's like, okay, cool. That's like three things that aren't compatible unless it becomes a lifestyle. Mm. Do you find that like uh, having it as a job infringes on the other two? Not really, because I've just put the the job to the back of my mind now. Like, yeah, there might be sacrifices. Yeah, things might be a bit more unstable. Yeah, things might not be in an ideal world what I'd want them to be all the time. Mm. But then on the converse, like most days I wake up and I'm like excited for my day. I know too many people that I wish they could have that feeling. Mm. I definitely wouldn't recommend getting into a career in music unless you loved it so much and mm. didn't think you could do anything else. It's not, it's not a satisfying job to be half-assed in. But if you love it, and it's a natural fit, then what a privilege and what a joy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think it, if you do have that true love for it, I feel like it's just a sort of natural progression into it. I mean, I say that like mm. from literally like having been a musician, inverted commas, for like maybe a year, if that. Yeah, I don't think how much money you earn for music or how long you spend a day doing music is what defines people as a musician. Yeah. To me, what defines people as a musician is somebody that makes music. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I don't know, I think we have this kind of really strange thing of, like, the professional musician. Mm. It's like most professional musicians I know want to be anything but a professional musician. They're a musician <laughs> and they don't want to think about the professional, like, yeah. in an ideal world. But then, you know, I think that a professional musician can be somebody that works another job and uses that to fund doing something else. That's a professional mm. musician because you're using one profession to make space for another. I think too many strange parameters of employment overlap into something that's not really employment, it's more lifestyle. Mm. And like, the, you know, obviously like the financial side's important, but I don't know, we kind of in, in music, you're in a kind of strange situation where sometimes the thing that pays the least is the thing that's the most satisfying. And time is your kind of yours to choose what you want to do. Mm. So that's where the ethical balance, not the ethical, like the emotional balance really lies in it. It's like, do I want to do this? Do I need to do this? And I'm kind of just surrendered to the philosophy of like, unless I really have to do something, I really don't want to do it. And it's not <laughs> our laziness. Like, well, it's, you know, six days a week in a studio and I love everything I'm doing. It's just, I think I've, you know, it's a commitment, you know, and it's a commitment because everybody else involved in that process in the work around the world is also committed. Mm. So you've got to kind of honour everybody else's work ethic and energy. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you have people come back at home and then they're practising all night and it's like, well, okay, if I've, you know, been able, fortunate enough to be able to create that space hole in my life, if I'm not maximising the opportunity to be able to do that, then I'm kind of hanging out in somebody else's dream scenario and not using it as a dream come true <laughs> yeah i know what you mean and that like to me that's where that's my barometer as well with like you know after 15 years is when i look at other artists and people there's always something in me that's like is this your love is this your passion or is this a convenient career and i think that people that have been in music like the whole lives can't imagine anything else mm. and then there are and there are also people that are happy to do both and both are good mm -hmm. you know both are real you know important parts of the tapestry of what music is because ultimately we turned it into a business but is it a business should it be a business should art be a business you know is it yes ultimately because people need the, you know the money to make the mechanics of everything work but 
and now I'm dealing directly with my emotions and other people are yeah. dealing with directly with emotions. It's a comfort blanket. It's a, you know, so it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Is that something that you've had that mindset for your whole life in music? Like when when you first signed to Atlantic, you were, you were 20, right? Yeah. That's young. And obviously like signing to a major label, did that like alter your mindset about what you were doing at all? Or did you feel like pressure or anything like that that you had to deal with? Yeah, massively. There's a whole mm. myriad of emotions, really. Massive pressure, confusion, everything changed simultaneously. But, you know, I got myself into that situation. Mm-hmm. So I can't um, do anything other than try and learn from it. And mm. there's amazing things, that I, amazing experiences and things I learned during that time. But at the same time, I'm now talking to and working with artists that were my age at that time. And there are things where I'm like, oh, yeah, I wish I did know that. You know, I think me and my manager at the time, he was, you know, we were both working it out together, like working out what, how it all worked. And I, f- I found the industry to be way more like murky and corrupted than I expected. Really? That's what that was, that period of time was for me was just like, oh, it was like all of that romance of like how the music industry is and how records are made. And I was just, oh yeah, this is all a prop. Right. <laughs> like music is still that. Yeah. But the rest, like, there's a lot more other stuff that I didn't picture. Right. And that was a steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. And no, I just, I guess I just assumed that, like, it was the music and the songs and my live performance. But, you know, when people start to talk about, like, they commodify you. Mm-hmm. You get used to being spoken about in the third person in conversations that you're in. Yeah. And then somebody going, no, but we've all said that that's the best thing. It's like, yeah, but you're talking about Sam and I'm Sam and this is my life and this is how you want me to do something. And they're like, yeah, but, like, you're signed to us. I am, correct. Like, I've got a job. Mm. I've got a boss. I was like, this is the opposite of what I wanted. Mm. You know, I get to do what I love, but sometimes I don't. And then everyone's like, oh my God, you must be loving it. It must be amazing. It's like, yeah, most of the time, but sometimes it's like really soul destroying. Mm. Sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm being like pretty heavily insulted in in a national newspaper and, and like loads of people I know are laughing at me. Cool. That's what I signed up for. But, you know, it is what I signed up for, too, at the same time. So what can I, you know, what can I expect? Yeah, it's strange. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm not in my 20s doing that now. Mm. You know, I'm glad I had those experiences because I've been able to learn from it. Mm-hmm. But it's been a long road to try and get my head straight. Weird. People did, you know, there were people within that environment that I'm still close with, you know, I look up to. Like, that's where I was lucky. There were people that took, you know, put their arm around me and, like, looked after me. That was, I think that has been the big difference between maybe my experience and some other inf- unfortunate experiences that other people have had is that there were people that, like, stepped in and sorted things out. Yeah, that, yeah, I get you. Musically, are there things that come with being a solo artist, like pressure? Because, like, I've kind of felt, like, as a solo artist and then with a band as well, that I felt like kind of, like, finding your own identity... Is quite complicated sometimes. Do you ever find that there are problems that are like exclusive to being a solo artist? I don't know if they're maybe exclusive, but yeah, I do know what you mean about finding an identity. I keep forgetting that the identity is me. Yeah. That I'm a solo artist, so mm. therefore, like, that's the identity. Mm-hmm. So then it's about what I want to embody of myself into what I'm projecting into the world. Mm. You know, how much do I want to give up? How do I want to shape it? So th- there is that side in that. Um, but then I, that's why I chose a stupid band name because <laughs> I thought it allowed, afforded me that layer of protection. Yeah. But actually, it did nothing other than give me a really confusing band name and not offer me any layers <laughs> of protection. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's exactly the same, but now I just have to like, add loads more syllables into my general daily life. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's nice to run in a pack. You can share the load, more minds of ideas and stuff like that. So I do, I, you know, I do think I often look at artists and bands and think, oh, I wish I had that. But then as a result, it's just like trying to keep in a community of other solo artists. Mm -hmm. So you can still have that energy and bounce ideas and, you know, that camaraderie and creative soundboarding. But ultimately, I don't know why it is, but I feel like, you know, I've just been driven to do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And I'm now at the point of no return. <laughs> so like, there's always going to be people that I want to work with and do things with. But like this one project that I have, you know, is Get Kate Project, like I've kind of just got to have ownership in it. But every 18 months, I hate it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to destroy it. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, I don't know who I am, but you know. <laughs> and most of that is just, as I get older, I realise it's like, I'm a songwriter that writes songs on a regular basis that has spent t a period of his time like in this songwriting cycle of albums and stuff. Mm. I don't know how you're, you're finding it, but like EPs and working in that way now maybe allows people to write more often rather than just, you know, like for me, I'm so used to like every two or three years there's going to be a chaos upheaval of a year of an album. <laughs> so it's kind of like readdressing my balance. Do you do you find that it's kind of you writing, writing for EPs and at the moment, do you feel like you, you four or five tracks or whatever, you've treating them as one body or is it a kind of each song? Yeah, as as one body, which was like quite a thing to adjust to because mm. before that I I was only doing like one song, put it out next yeah. song put it out next song so yeah it's it's very different thinking about about it as a, a full body and how to like approach it before you write an album do you have an idea of what you want a whole album to be like or do you just kind of let it happen almost exclusively yes but this time no right the only kind of theme i had from this album is like wanting to be at the beginning of the upward curve of coming out of something right that's my kind of only real like connecting thread yeah yeah you know, that like going through stuff, but coming out of it and coming out of it, whether that's good or bad, but addressing the fallout and how that relates to a world that's rapidly changing where the fallout's are more. But yeah, but generally, no, I, I don't really work on a more an emotional level. I'm usually quite like, this is my theme. This is what I want to write about. This is how I want to do it. Mm -hmm. This is how it all connects. And production wise, overall tightening wise, overall theme wise, that's really helpful. But I've also found that songwriting wise, it's not so much. In what way? Too many rules. Right. Like I wanna, I'm, like I'm naturally gravitating towards an idea, but it doesn't fit within the theme of that body. Yeah. So now what I'm doing is I'm keeping that and I'm parking it and I'm leaving it in a file of like some points to come back to. Mm. Yeah, otherwise I go crazy. Yeah. Trying to like live within this own... Like I'm like, who created this world that I'm living in, this madness? I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to shake that manifestation of this like imposed set of rules that I feel like I'm not hitting my own rules. Right. Do you feel like you can jump between projects quite easily? If you'd have asked me a year ago, I'd have said, yeah, no problem, but mm. no. Not to be able to give my all into everything. Right. I, I think things can be structured that I can have a few days here to like get stuck into something, bit of time out, go back in. But like there needs to be gaps in between, mm. even if it's a day or two. I find that I really want to climb into something and walk about. You know, whether it's working with an artist or working on my own stuff or producing. Like, I don't really want to be half in it. Mm. Like, too many bits of my brain in too many places just ends up spinning me out. Before, I'd have gone, yeah, yeah I love to work on everything all the time. But 
then I've kind of now with a bit of time and as I'm getting older, just realizing more focused energy is probably better. What kind of projects, I guess, have you got in mind for the future to kind of keep on living in music and doing what you're doing, doing what you love? Studio is kind of ground zero. It's kind of nice to be. It's nice to be in an environment where there are other musicians passing through. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 very much in the mindset right now that I don't know how long it's going to be before I can do traditional touring and traditional festivals, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the end of that process in my life. It's kind of thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Kind of relates to what you know what we were saying about how for me I need that creative energy that comes from other people on the same path. I just think it's really good, you know, you're, you're from down here, Lydia Kitto, Blab, Becky Margaret, Asylums, Mabes, there's loads of good stuff, like lots of good music happening in a very fruitful county at the moment when it comes to people thinking outside the box. I mean, Essex always has been kind of trailblazing in terms of people like locking down and committing to ideas. We had a meet up a couple of weeks ago in Metal, who are like a, they've kind of broken the ground on like culture and arts, and certainly in South End over the last decade, opened up creative spaces in fine arts and preserved pre-existing spaces and put the Village Green Festival on for a decade. We had a meeting of kind of lots of artists, writers, you know, producers, people that do different jobs within the Essex Arts about how we can all come together and kind of pool our resources, not just in terms of within our own artistic practices, but also collectively. You know, there's Estuary Festivals coming up in May next year, which is, you know, connects us to Margate and to Folkestone and the folk on the other side of the water. And it's just good. Yeah, it should hopefully be like a real creative explosion of different artistic practices and people working together in different fields. I'm going to do Chronicles show because it's 15-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be the first of the 15-year anniversary shows. We're kind of working out exactly where to, to do that. I've kind of got a place in mind that hopefully will be able to announce between now and the end of the year. And just, yeah, just like looking at it from the perspective of we live here, we're all competent, we all get on, let's just do some stuff here. Mm. Like, if it doesn't exist, build it. You know, I kind of love that expression, if not us who, if not now, when. For me, that's a bit of a mantra. Mm-hmm. It's like if there's a hole and it can be plugged by people that, you know, who don't just all sit around and go, oh, I can't wait for somebody to plug that hole in the roof. It's like, right, let's get up there and fix it. You know, and it's a similar thing. It's like, yeah, we, we might not have traditional music and shows like what can we do is it possible to work within social distancing yes in the studio is it possible for live shows how does that change how does that evolve but also how can we use this as an opportunity to cross-pollinate the arts because everyone in the arts is in a precarious position but like loads of people just haven't given up i think everyone would assume that after like five months of stress and insecurity and hardship during a pandemic that the arts would be dead but if anything it's just driven people further into that idea of commitment and like this is what i do so i'm gonna do it yeah and i think it, because i'm um, my working practice is mostly in a studio but also because live music is a pool artist base can come together and try different ideas it would be kind of disrespectful for all the people that over the last 15 years of my life have been the mechanics of how my world worked to down tools in a crisis because I can't do what I want. It's more about like, okay, can we create environments where we can all still do stuff? So that's part one of this episode of Samcast. Be sure to catch part two where we talk the art world in lockdown, communities and music, and Sam's songwriting, philosophy, advice, and general wisdom. Special thanks to Sam Duckworth. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow Samcast on your streaming service to make sure you never miss an episode with new Samcast every Tuesday. I've been Sam Eagle and thank you so much for listening.